Today on Stick to Football, we continue our NFL previews with the NFC South, taking a look at Tom Brady's division. But first, gentlemen, we have some news to break down. Matt Mello Connor with you. Happy Tuesday morning, by the way. Uh, the news starts right here, gentlemen, with Earl Thomas. And you saw it last week, actually, after we recorded the Friday morning show, you saw this start to trickle on Twitter of reports that Earl was showing up late to meetings. He wasn't being very engaged, even on the practice field. He went to his Instagram and posted a video of what looked like, before it got deleted, a mental error on his part. But this leads, guys, to frustrations boiling over. Fellow safety Chuck Clark, who just got a nice contract this offseason. Well, Chuck Clark and Earl Thomas have a fist fight on the practice field. This leads to the Ravens sending Earl home from practice and then releasing him. Uh, they're calling it conduct detrimental to the team. That is important to note because he's due $10 million this year. And one a player who three years ago, I think we would have said, that's the best safety in football. Since leaving Seattle, since let me back, since getting hurt in Seattle, where he flips off the fans or the bench or whatever it was, uh, it's kind of been a downward spiral a little bit. Uh, Mello, this is one of your favorite all-time college players, at least. All-time, yeah. Just You can leave it right there. I love Earl Thomas. I love the way that he plays the position. Uh, I think that at a time you would have said that he was the best safety in football, and I think that even up till recently. But with all the reports that are coming out of Baltimore, it's tough because you don't want to lose a star in your secondary like this, but this might be a situation where this team is actually better, even though Earl Thomas is still a very talented safety. Uh, with the being late for meetings, blowing coverage, even if it's in practice. If, I mean, if you're blowing coverage so bad that Chuck Clark has to come up to you uh, and have that conversation with you, things need to change. And then obviously the, the incident that he got into with his brother was also not good either so just a weird offseason for one of my favorite players of all time but I do think this is a situation where Baltimore I'm going to trust that front office they probably moved on when they needed to move on and it looks like they're probably going to be able to wave a lot of that guaranteed money and the fact that the veterans on the team Connor were on board with this I think that's important because as Melo said this is a strong locker room we talk about ideal cultures and, and the way teams are built Baltimore's on that short list and for the leaders of the team to come out and be like, yep, we're good with a, a player who's at least the uh, biggest name on that defense is now gone. I mean, when you look at it, they have a leadership group here for a reason, and it's nobody's bigger than the team is the most important thing. You look at Earl Thomas, he's probably been you know, the best free safety we've seen since Ed Reed in the league and it's not like I, he was good last year guys like I saw some people saying like is he just washed is it this like even at 31 he's a good player right now this is a loss for Baltimore on the field but the bottom line is the most important thing in Baltimore and the the key cog that makes this engine run so smoothly is that they have such a culture and there's a reason why guys like Chuck Clark go in there and thrive and develop and get better and I think that matters above all. So for Baltimore, I totally understand this. There's obviously concerns about, you know, maybe Earl freelancing a little bit there. And it obviously came to a boiling point, I think. And also, I mean, the only thing I could see is that he punched Chuck Clark. Now, I didn't see a video, but there was rumors of him saying that you just can't cross the line. It doesn't matter who you are. Now, I think the interesting thing to me, getting away from all this, because I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, I regret picking Baltimore to win the division again, or I regret thinking like that. 
that none of that's changing for me. But I do think Earl Thomas can go make an impact somewhere else this year. And I think that's where I wanted to take this is Earl Thomas is a good player. He is 31 years old, but he is a good player uh, who last year, even though coming off an injury, played at a high level. And the immediate thought, even I think I even tweeted it before, like days before he was cut. You have to wonder where Dallas is and all this. Now, Earl, back in the day, chases down Jason Garrett after a game when he was still with Seattle and says, if you can get me, come get me. Well, Jason Garrett's now the head, uh, the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants, so that's not an option. But I don't think Earl wants to go no, there. No, I don't think so. But it, does he want to go back to Dallas? Or Yes, absolutely. That's where he's from. And the Cowboys, interestingly enough, restructured Tyron Smith to open up some cap space. Now, we've seen other teams, actually like the Atlanta Falcons, come out and say, no, we are not pursuing Earl Thomas. But I will tell you that Dallas is, it doesn't take Adam Schefter to tell you that the Dallas Cowboys should be interested in Earl Thomas. But as soon as this happened, something I heard, guys, was that my team, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, was actually interested. And that makes some sense with Richard Sherman being there and the familiarity that Earl has with that scheme. I know they just locked up Jimmy Ward, but Jimmy, as we saw last year, can play very, very well in the nickel. So there are teams like Philadelphia, Houston, San Francisco. This is not just a done deal that Earl goes to Dallas. And last year, even after signing Tyron uh, Matthew, the Kansas City Chiefs were close to a one-year deal with Earl Thomas. Now, they went ahead and drafted Juan Thornhill after that, but with Juan coming back off an injury, there are very, very good teams that Earl Thomas is a fit for. And I think when you look at other star safeties, Jamal Adams, we all thought he was going to Dallas or maybe even Houston. Uh, psych dude shipped up to Seattle. So I think that Dallas does seem like the favorite because a lot of these guys that come from that area do want to get back to Texas. They do want to play for the star, and I don't blame them. The Cowboys are a great organization. I think they're going to be a Super Bowl contender this year. I don't, I don't know if they're going to go after Earl Thomas, but I do think that there are other teams that do make a lot of sense. The Eagles, the Chiefs, if they are willing to kick the tires, like you said, they had an agreement there last year before Baltimore came in with a multi-year deal. He could step in and fill in a, a, a spot, at least while Juan Thornhill gets healthy. And I think they have a locker room that could maybe keep him in check. And maybe this is just, you know, change of scenery would be really good for him. But I do think the Chiefs and the Cowboys are probably the favorite right now. But also, uh, Deshaun Watson had some really positive things to say. Uh, I don't, don't think he's trying to get caught tampering or anything like <laughs> that. But uh, I think that he knows that they could probably use him down in Houston as well. I mean, they absolutely can. I, I do look at a team... Like the Niners, from a culture standpoint, that make a lot of sense. Matt said it, you know, with Richard Sherman there, it seems like um, a pretty seamless fit. And I, I do think the Niners can eventually down the road be one of those teams that I don't want to sit here and say Earl Thomas is a, you know, a character problem player. Although after this, I think that label is is going to possibly stick to him a little bit. But you'll see teams like the Niners, they can afford to take the risk on maybe you know, a divisive kind of player, maybe a more erratic kind of player, or honestly, even at this point, maybe labeled as a, a me guy above the team guy uh, kind of player. When you look at Houston, you know, there's definitely the need there. They have a really good young safety in Justin Reed, but that secondary still needs more pieces. So that would be an interesting spot for me. We could sit here and talk about Dallas all day, and and nothing would surprise me there at all. With with that, you know, that secondary could probably use a veteran presence. I think the question for me is, and what we've seen from Earl the last couple of years, 
you know, is there a certain line that that he'll just not play for, right? Like if teams are coming out yep. and saying, hey, we'll bring in Earl for one year, $3.5 million, is he going to sit there and go, you know what? No, I'm good. I'm not. I've already gone through serious injury before. I don't need to do that. I'll wait until next year. I'll, I'll get my body right or things like that. That's the thing I have an eye on right now because let's not forget, and correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. Matt, I think you hinted at it already. Baltimore is technically going after his guaranteed money, correct? They are. Yeah, they are. And That's the huge. Thing, the thing is, we just don't know when that will be cleared up. Uh, it could be it could be next week, guys. It could be next year because these grievances, uh, usually there's an arbitrator that gets involved and says, oh, okay, well, you know, here's uh, Baltimore is actually on the hook for it all. And so I, I do think that's a big part of it. It's also, it's late. Even if this were a normal year where we were at week two of the preseason, it's really late. And I think that's why a team like uh, the Niners it makes sense because he knows that defense already. Like he knows that scheme. It's not going to be, okay, you got to come to Dallas and you know, Earl's a smart guy. He's going to be able to acclimate, but I think going somewhere where he is scheme familiar, it has to be the best move for him. So uh, it's a little early to make predictions, but I mean, Dallas has to be. If the I if I had to bet on it, I would bet the Cowboys are going to be the. Team I think that he would take less in. money to go to Dallas. I do too, and I do think that this year he's going to have to take that one year prove it deal. Uh, with most teams being strapped against the cap and being so late in August, I do think we see the Cowboys come in probably with nothing crazy money wise, but I think they get him in for a year and then they probably start negotiating a couple more years to tack on that once he's in house. Yeah, man, it is. Uh, it's going to be fun because it could be, uh, I, like Connor said, this is still Earl Thomas. This could still be landscape shifting. And, and he's only like 30 years old. Right. Yeah, 31. Yeah. Yep. And Dallas is the favorite already in that division. So uh, it could tip the scales a little bit for Mike McCarthy's new team. Uh, now, guys, another thing that happened over the weekend, and it was really staggering, and I thought the NFL uh, did a great job of staying on top of this. Over the weekend, 77 players tested positive for COVID-19. The problem is all 77 of those tests were false negatives. And after a point of contact test was done, they came back negative. The NFL felt confident in saying, hey, uh, there was something going on with the lab in New Jersey that tested these players. But uh, great news, number one, these 77 players are not positive for COVID-19. On a secondary point, good Lord, I hope this does not happen in the regular season. But they did very quickly realize, hey, something's wrong. If this many people are positive all at once, what's going on here? Uh, But 77 people... You have to hope if this happens regular season, it happens on a Monday, not well, on a Thursday. Yeah, and even like Josh Allen was with the quarterback. Josh Allen was one of the guys that, that happened to. So thankfully for the NFL, this does happen uh, kind of in training camp where we're supposed to be having preseason games still. Because like you were getting ready to say before I interrupted you, if this happened during the regular season, these guys would all have to miss a game. You'd have 77 guys out. And maybe the NFL would look at a situation and say, hey, something's going on here. This doesn't seem right. Let's postpone some games till Monday. But it is good for the NFL that happened now and that you could figure it out and how to fast track it, problem solve this, so that if it does happen during the season, you don't have to immediately say, ooh, there's an outbreak on this team, cancel their game and do everything. Kind of how we see what with MLB and what they're doing. As soon as there's a breakout, there's seems like there's game cancellations, postponing, you know, a couple at a time. So good for the NFL that this happens now and not, you know, in a couple weeks when we actually have the season starting. It certainly is tricky. It makes you wonder, is there any way they can put enough of a buffer of time in between kickoff 
and the testing period to see if they can they can almost double check. I know it sounds insane. You know, here I am, medical expert Connor Rogers, <laughs> telling them to double check a COVID test in a New Jersey lab. But it's huge. I even sat there yesterday. I was talking about this with my dad on the phone a lot. We've been talking about how, you know, training camp is so minimal this year to a point. Josh Allen can't afford to miss a practice for no reason, in my eyes. And I'm not saying this to hate on Josh. I'm saying this about a lot of young players, a lot of young quarterbacks. This is brutal. I know, you know, obviously staying local here, the Jets had to cancel a walkthrough on Saturday, and then they had to move that. You know, obviously no Josh Allen at practice for the Bills for a day. Like, those things are impactful things. And then you point forward to it, like Melo said. Could you imagine if we have, like, a, a false positive test for a Pat Mahomes before oh, play? Don't before you put playing? that evil on me. <laughs> I, I mean, this is the kind of stuff where it's like, it, it's got, and I know it's it's easy for me to sit here and say, but it's just got to be almost, it's got to be almost perfect. Or else things are really gonna. It's just gonna be really tough. I, I mean, you look at what baseball is going through right now. I mean, the Mets down in Miami, shocking, down in Miami, had a anonymous coach and player test positive. They brought everyone back. No one else tested positive for you know days now. They are now playing three double headers. I think in a five or six day span, five or six days, like that. It's a competitive problem because you don't only have so many starting pitchers in that day span. So with football, you got to find a way to make it not have an impact. Like baseball, there's so many games. Even in this year, it's like, okay, you can get around that. You can come back from it. In football, if you have two down weeks where you're at a competitive disadvantage, it changes your entire season. It absolutely does. And it is the competitive disadvantage part of it is huge. And I know that... Uh, this morning, even, I was just reading the news, getting ready for the show. News comes out Monday morning. Dolphins are going to allow fans. Well, Chiefs are allowing fans. There's a couple teams that have said, hey, we're going to do this. You know the Cowboys are going to allow fans. And Sean McDermott was like, I don't understand how that's fair. Like, I believe he said it was ridiculous because it was inconsistent. It is. And it's that's another one. Like, so, you know, the and, and what made me think of this is we live in Missouri, obviously. The Chiefs had fans at a scrimmage over the weekend. And then you have other situations where it's like, do not let anyone even close to this facility. And it's kind of shocking that in a moment in time where 77 tests, boom, boom, two days, we can figure out they're all false positives. They're going to revisit the testing protocol. And then at other places, you got like, I mean, we could let like 25,000 people in here. It'd be okay. Yeah, it's, I, it's really weird. A lot of people do seem to be landing on that number, like around 15,000 people. But I'm with McDermott here. Now, if, if you want to have fans at your stadium and the NFL deems that okay, whatever. I haven't done any research on this topic. So if that's what you think, go for it. But it is kind of shitty that we're allowing you know some fans here, some not over here. It, you almost just need a uniform blanket statement. This is what we're doing in regards to fans. Because it is going to play a huge role. And I don't know what their plan is for pumping in crowd noise like we see in the NBA bubble. But if one team is allowed to have fans at their home games and the other team is not, that is going to make a huge difference. And playing with momentum, having the crowd noise at your back is is a huge difference maker in the NFL. So I think before the season starts, you almost want to see the NFL come through and say, hey, this is what we're doing across all 32 stadiums in the NFL. And I feel like they won't. I feel like they're so desperate for that fan revenue wherever they can get it 
to help impact the league in a positive way going forward for next year, whether it's salary cap, a lot of different reasons, obviously franchises collecting fan revenue, all of those things. I think they won't. And I agree. I, I don't understand it. I really, really don't. I it just, when you look at it, it is a lot bigger of a deal than people are making it out to be, even if it is 13,000 at Miami. I mean, that's what they usually draw anyway at Hard Rock Stadium, oh. so it's not any different. I'm serious. <laughs> so, so when you look now for the Chiefs, the for the Chiefs it's not different. It's a lot different. The Chiefs pack out that stadium where you can't move an inch every week. So it'll be okay, we're going to Arrowhead and it's going to be a little crazy, but it's not like absolute mayhem like it always is. It it, it matters a lot and I just I think the NFL, I don't want to hate on the NFL for this over the top because I actually think Honestly, they've done a good job so far. I don't think there's any other way to say it. Now, am I personally a little skeptical about the cross-country travel this year and, you know, leaving no empty weeks to make up games? You know, and your know your bye week does not count as a make-up game week. They need the bye week. So I'm a little skeptical about that. But overall, things have been really, really good. So it, it just feels a little bizarre to see something like this slip through the cracks and go, hey, if you could do it, go for it, man. Yeah, that's exactly how it feels. Like, uh, we don't want to be responsible. We don't want to tell you no. And uh, it, you know, it's like it. the timing of this is not great, obviously, and there would be no good time for this. But the NFL TV deals need renegotiated. Uh, NFL Sunday ticket actually expires after this year. Like uh, our bosses at AT&T, the rumors are uh, it will not be back on AT&T slash DirecTV after this year. So the NFL has to figure out how to monetize that because and they will because of the NFL. But a lot of a lot of moving parts in a. It's good the CBA got done, but now with the TV deals, uh, you're right. I do think, hey, we need we need revenue. We need fans in the stands. Well, one more thing before we get to our NFC South preview and breakdown, guys. One year ago today, Monday morning, Andrew Luck shocked us while we were sitting in Las Vegas and retired from the NFL at age 29. It's one of those, it shouldn't be a I'll always remember where I was moment, but I will always remember where I was when that happened. I, I think when you're drunk in Las Vegas, you're just like, yeah, I <laughs> yes. remember what happened there vaguely. That's about all I remember from that night. So yeah, crazy though. I mean, it really did shock us because it came out of nowhere and you started to see people tweeting about it you started to see like the fans getting the reaction yeah. and then poor little andrew luck gets booed as he runs off the field you hate to see that uh, but i i think finally after a year colts fans are starting to appreciate him again and not be so pissed off about him ducking out early man that was it's hard to believe just a year ago we were in vegas for just running around aimlessly yes compared to right now and yeah that was it was nuts. I mean, I don't want to sit here and like predict what do you think the next early sports retirement will be, but that that is on the list of of absolute shockers for me. Maybe maybe at the top, I don't know. I think the timing and the the significance of the player because it was like, oh, he's healthy. They're gonna be so good, and he's like, be so good. No, I'm yeah. done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm out. The timing was the huge thing because he was like he was there in the stadium for the preseason game, right. and then. Uh, nope, psych. You know, I'm not sucks. coming back tomorrow. So. Doing, yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to go to work. It was an office space moment. You know what? I'm just not going to come back tomorrow. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to be breaking down the NFC South. 
A year ago, it looked like Drew Brees and Sean Payton were ready to run all the way through the NFC South, which they did. But this year, guys, it's going to be a little bit different. The greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, heads to Tampa. We have Matt Rule now in Carolina replacing Ron Rivera, while Dan Quinn, thanks to a red-hot second half in Atlanta, was able to save his job. So some things remain the same. Many things, though, very, very different for the NFC South. And let's start with the New Orleans Saints, winners of last year, again, winning the division last year, but a team that just seems to like fizzle out anytime they get to the playoffs. Drew Brees has not been himself in January. Michael Thomas has not been himself in January. And a, a somewhat slowed Alvin Kamara definitely affected that, too. When I look at the Saints, guys, this is one of the best divisions in football. Uh, even when you consider that Carolina is turning a lot over, there's still talent there. And when I look at New Orleans, it, this does feel like one last hurrah. I mean, you you load up for one last run with Drew Brees, and hopefully they can get the job done for Drew Brees to get another ring. But this schedule is going to be incredibly difficult, even just within the division assuming we get a full football season, I have them going 10 and six. I think the offense will once again be explosive and dynamic, but I'm going to worry about the defense. I think we still have to see this team be able to pin its ears back and get to the quarterback, even though like I love Cameron Jordan. I'm a big believer in players like Marcus Davenport, Trey Hendrickson, we have not seen them in the postseason be able to do that. And there have been some like just misfortunate plays that gets them kicked out of the playoffs. Uh, my breakout guy, going back to that pass rush, Zach Bond. Uh, we saw Monday morning they cut Nigel Bradham, a surprise move to cut a starting linebacker. I think this signifies that Zach Bond is going to be asked to fill a gigantic role. We saw him at Wisconsin as a pass rusher, as an off-ball linebacker. We saw him at the Senior Bowl doing a little bit of everything. I'm a fan of Zach Bond, uh, especially where they got him in his draft. I think he could be one of one of the most impactful rookies we see this year. I mean, he's a guy that we had in the first round of a lot of our mock drafts, and I love I love his fit there. I really like the Saints this year. My record prediction for them is going to be 11 and five. Spoiler alert, I have them finishing second in this division. I love this division. I think that the, all these teams are really good, and even the Carolina Panthers could be a surprise. When I look at the New Orleans Saints, I think they are going to be focused. I do think this is one last hurrah for Drew Brees. With this offensive line, the skill players coming back, Alvin Kamara hopefully being healthy, I think they're set to make a good playoff run. Hopefully uh, this year, I'd love to see Drew Brees go out on top of the Super Bowl as long as he's not playing my Kansas City Chiefs. But even the defense, I think, is improved. So my record prediction, 11-5, and five, breakout player, I don't know if I have the right name here or not because there's some confusion online. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a safety out of Florida that we absolutely loved. I love his versatility. I love how he can fit in here, uh, play a little nickel, play in the box, even play some free safety he's asked to. I think that this young man can have a breakout performance where we're looking at him as you know the leader, kind of the alpha dog, at least, of the safety room with an aging Malcolm Jenkins. I look at the Saints, and you know, every year we do this, it's like, okay, the Saints are going to win 13 games. You just kind of pencil that in every single year. This was the first year where I, you know, I finished going through their schedule, and I'm like, wow, I had them, you know, because I pick all the games, add them up. It's like 10 and 6, which is good. The Saints are a good team. This division got really, really tough. They have a tough schedule. Like, they play Green Bay, they play the 49ers, they play the Chiefs. Those are really, really tough games. In they're already in a tough division, so I think ten and six is is nothing to laugh at. They are a playoff team to me. Spoiler alert: I think they finished second in this division. Maybe I'm getting caught up in the hype, but 
That's where I have them at. And I think the breakout player is Marcus Davenport, somebody that we've talked about on the show a decent bit. I thought he was very disappointing in his rookie season after they traded, you know, basically two first rounders to go up and get him. And I think he made a really nice jump his sophomore year. PFF had him logged with 50 pressures. He got those sack numbers, you know, up from four and a half to six, even after missing three games of the season. So, uh, you know, the disruption rate was there for Marcus Davenport. Now the light needs to fully come on. You want to see him develop into that double-digit sack player. You want to see him continue to increase those pressures, get those up from maybe 50 to 70 this year. Uh, I think he'll be the breakout player for the Saints. My questions with this team, I, I just think, you know, health at the front line of their offense, right? Like if you're one Alvin Kamara injury away from, oh man, like this is looking a little scary. One Drew Brees injury away from Jameis Winston. uh, That to me is, you know, obviously a little scary. And of course people will sit here and go, well, they have Taysom Hill. It's another conversation for another day. Uh, I think when you look at the Saints, they are a really good team, but I think the days of the Saints being a powerhouse, a pure powerhouse, they were constantly picking to be maybe the best team in the NFC might be hitting the stall button this year. Yeah, it do, it feels like people are catching up to them, at least. And uh, you're right, Mello. I don't know what's called Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, so I looked it up. The team is still calling him that, but he has requested to be called C.D. Deuce from now on. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, <laughs> If that's what he wants to roll with. That, yeah, you didn't see that. So, yeah, so, I mean, he notably added the... Uh, I believe he added the Johnson to his name. I think it was Chauncey Gardner. He added the Johnson in honor of his stepfather, who raised him. And then now he has come out and said he wants to be called C.D. Deuce. So, yep. All right. Well, I know he's spelling it different, but we only got one C.D. in yeah. the league. That right. matters. Yeah. So, and I he's like a- Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, but okay. Eventually, somebody's just going to go full Prince and change their name to like an emoji. Right. <laughs> right? Or like oh Elon God. Musk with all those symbols. that Right. Naming your child a, uh, just a collection of anagrams or whatever they were okay how about the Atlanta Falcons they finished second in this division last year I mentioned it Dan Quinn saved his job and really we saw the locker room rally around him they wanted him to save his job and he did and I'm uh I like the Atlanta Falcons more than you guys I noticed that this morning when I put my notes in I have them at nine and seven and I think they have a chance to make the playoffs this is a a, a team that I think last year we saw some injuries affect them but also now if we get this offensive line gelling and coming together this offense could be dynamic with Calvin Ridley, obviously Julio Jones there. The The biggest question for me is how are they going to run the ball? Is Todd Gurley rejuvenated now that he's back in Georgia? Was last year just a, a fluke of a bad season? But how they're going to run the ball is gigantic. And I, I do think there are some fair questions about their front seven. Still a Grady Jarrett fan. I think Dante Fowler Jr. is a little bit overrated. So somebody's going to have to get after the quarterback. If not, my breakout player is Kendall Sheffield. And I know he's probably going to be playing a lot in the slot for them, but I was a pretty big fan of his coming out of LSU. Uh, the speed is there. The awareness is there. Obviously, uh, excuse me, coming out of Ohio State, it's there. Fourth round pick, who I think in a nickel slot corner situation could be very, very good. So, Kendall Sheffield, someone to keep an eye on. Uh, I know they drafted my guy, AJ Terrell, in the first round this past year, but uh, these corners are sneaky good, and, and that young talent is absolutely there. And this is where I go full heel turn and start to piss off fan bases because I do not love the Atlanta Falcons. I think with this division, they are going to really struggle. And that's more to say about the Saints and the Bucks and what they've added. I think that the Panthers could challenge some people, even though they're very young. I think the Falcons have a tough road ahead of them. Uh, even just pull up their schedule. Look at those first four games. Seattle, at Dallas, Chicago, at Green Bay. Those are tough games. And we're not even talking about their division yet. 
I have the Falcons going 6-10 and 10 this year. I do think they're going to struggle. And, I mean, with this schedule, you're going to have to play Tom Brady twice. And you're going to have to do it late in the season. You're going to have to go and play the Saints twice. That could be four losses right there. Now, I know that they're, they're probably going to split some of those games. Uh, it would be difficult for them to go defeated in this division. But I do think they're going to struggle. And I think they're going to be looking at a high draft pick. Uh, and I think Dan Quinn, who I think is a very good coach, is probably going to be looking for a new job. I, I don't love the Todd Gurley signing. Uh, not when you don't have another back there to go with him. Hey, I hope that the guy's healthy, but I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I like their draft. I don't love the front seven. And Dante Fowler, I do think, can get after the quarterback. But who else? I think there are a lot of holes on this team. So I have them going 6-10. and 10. And I'll just keep pissing off Falcons fans because I think Calvin Ridley is going to be a breakout player. I think Julio Jones is getting older, and a lot of people know that we got to stop Julio. We have to find a way to do it, and that's going to allow for more targets for Calvin Ridley. And in year three, he should be starting to see more targets. And as Julio ages, you're going to have to start to see Calvin Ridley hopefully take over and be the number one guy on this team. And I'm somewhere right in between you guys. I have them. I think this is a rock-solid football team that a few missed or make uh, kicks it can be the difference between a losing or winning season for them. I have them right at 8-8. Eight and eight. I think in a lot of other divisions, this is a 9-7 and seven or a 10-6 and six team. I think this is a tough spot for Atlanta. And I think also, to be fair, they're a team that's been hurt by the injury bug a lot these last couple years. But like Mello said, going out and signing Todd Gurley doesn't really aid that. You know what I mean? It's just hard to rely on him right now. So I think this is a, a, a number one, I'm a big Matt Ryan fan. I do think Calvin Ridley is poised for a huge year. Julio Jones is just a phenomenal player. The offensive line has been in a transition period, and we've we've seen the lows. We've you know They're hoping for more highs. The guy I like to break out on this offense is Hayden Hurst. It, you know, they went out, they traded for him. Sure, he didn't maybe live up to expectations in Baltimore. Seems like he's having a good camp. I think the seam is going to be very, very open for him to make plays in because they have so much talent at the wide receiver position. There's going to be a lot of room for Hayden Hurst to be a catch-and-run kind of tight end. I think Matt Ryan can rely on a guy like that. Now, why have them at 8-8 eight and eight, or right in the middle there? Once again, it's a good offense. You know, maybe some questions on the line. I think a decent head coach in Dan Quinn, they have talent on defense, but is this team going to stay healthy? That's what I wonder. And as for the pass rush, it still is a question mark, right? Like, you love Grady Jarrett. Dante Fowler, I think, was definitely worth the money. Then you go, well, now what, right? You look at it, you're expecting, you know, a rookie corner to come in and be an impact player. That's always really tough. It's really tough to succeed as a rookie corner in the NFL and a you know, a uh, high, high role. So I think when you look at this team, I think they're right in the middle there. And it makes me wonder, what are they going to do with the front office and head coaching staff? Are they going to, you know, say, hey, we just need a couple more pieces and we're going to be back in this thing? Or do we need to start it over, even though we we have a veteran quarterback that we know has been the answer for a while? I know you guys remember this stat because it was flying around after the draft, but they can roll out an offense with 11 first-round picks on it, which is crazy. Hayden Hurst being one of those. Todd Gurley being one of those. So it is. Uh, no one else can do that. Not even this team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which, spoiler alert, you guys both picked the players I wanted to pick as breakout players, so I congratulate you on beating me to the dock uh, this weekend. <laughs> but this a tradition like no. Right. This is an exciting 
exciting team. It really is. I mean, we already loved what they had on offense with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and uh, the you know talent at tight end. Now you bring in Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians. I think a lot of people, especially when this move happened, was like, why would Brady want to play for Bruce Arians in this throw-it-down-the-field, aggressive, aired-out offense? Well, we are too easily forgetting that when Bruce Arians had Peyton Manning, they didn't do that. They didn't just throw the ball down the field as far as they could every time. That was more a fit to what he had around him with those skill players and with the quarterbacks that he had in a Carson Palmer, Ben Roethlisberger, and Jameis Winston. This team went 7-9 and last year, and Jameis threw 30 picks, guys. I think they can be much, much better than that this year with Tom Brady, uh, with a better offensive line for Tom Brady by adding a guy like Tristan Wirfs in the first round of the NFL draft. I have them going 11-5. and I have them winning the division, and I think they are a serious contender to be playing a home Super Bowl game at Raymond James Stadium this year. Fire the cannons because this team is going to be good. My breakout player is our guy, Antoine Winfield Jr. I've already seen people tag us in tweets from camp where he's going off. I saw he picked off uh, Blaine Gabbert this morning, which not that that's an accomplishment, but still pretty awesome to see a player that you love go somewhere where it's like, oh my God, this fit is just so good with Todd Bowles and the way he uses his safeties as a second round pick. And because you two took my other guys, Antoine Winfield is going to make plays for this team. Yeah, and I do love the Bucks. Uh, they are my pick to win this division. I think they're going to go 12 and 4 uh, for a lot of the reasons that Matt just laid out. I think this is a team that was good last year despite their quarterback throwing 30 interceptions. You're not going to get that from Tom Brady. Uh, even if he has a bad year, even if time does start to catch up with old Tommy, I think he's still going to be a very good quarterback. We haven't seen him have skill talent like this at receiver since probably the Randy Moss, Wes Welker days. And I think that they are going to be very productive. Chris Godwin, I think, is going to be a perfect fit for what he wants to do. Mike Evans, you can throw up 50-50 balls. I could complete passes to Mike Evans in the NFL. I really love these receivers. My breakout player, though, is the guy who's been buried on the depth chart. That's O.J. Howard. I think that he finally gets his time to shine. I know that Cameron Brait has been there and been very productive at tight end. I know that Rob Gronkowski is coming back. I think the O.J. Howard gets his chance, though, and he's going to shine this year uh, and establish himself as that underneath kind of target that Tom Brady wants. He can get up the seam. One of the best tight end prospects we saw coming out of college, and I think he gets his chance this year. Uh, so, again, Tampa Bay, 12-4, and O.J. Howard, big Pro Bowl-type year. I, I mean, how can you not love what they have going on in Tampa this year, right? Even if you're skeptical of, you know, Hey, is this the real Tom Brady? What will Rob Gronkowski bring? All the questions that you could be skeptical about. It doesn't matter. This is still a really good football team with a really good coaching staff with a lot of leadership across the board and good energy down there. I look at the Bucks as the first place team in this division. 11 and 5, so they edge out the Saints by, you know, they they uh, top them by one game. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a real battle. It's going to come down to who could stay healthy. Obviously two very old quarterbacks down there. But I think when you look at this offense, it's still going to fly. I mean, you know, obviously Gronk taking a year off, getting his body right. Once again, we know what Chris Godwin and Mike Evans can do. But my breakout guy is Scotty Miller. You need that number three wide receiver in this offense. Tom Brady constantly gravitates to that kind of guy. And Scotty Miller is not just this little shifty slot receiver. He's a guy with four three six speed that can win down the field in the slot. So when you have guys across the board that can run, that can win at the catch point, and that can win down the field, 
it's a difference maker in this offense. It's going to be really, really exciting to watch. Todd Bowles has young talent on that defense, has veteran talent on that defense. I, I think this Bucks team, you know, will they be perfect? Will they be this 14-win team, 15-win team? No, that's I don't expect that from them. But will they do enough to win this division and make a serious run with the veteran presences they have in the playoffs? I really think so. Yeah, I think that you can. This division is too good for anyone to be a fourteen or fifteen win team. You know, like maybe even thirteen. Like the the division is just too good. And what's crazy is Tom Brady's forty three, and no one's like, well, if Tom takes a step back, you know, like eh, he just. He, I mean, he looks. Looks too good for it to happen. All right, the last team, the Carolina Panthers, uh, they finished fourth in the division last year, and a lot has changed since that 5-11 and season. Uh, new quarterback, Cam Newton's now in New England. Teddy Bridgewater comes in. New head coach, Ron Rivera's in Washington. Matt Rule comes up from Baylor and brings Joe Brady with him from LSU as offensive coordinator. This is, I still think, a good team, and in any other division, we might be talking about a better uh, jump for them. I think Teddy Bridgewater's going to fit in well as a point guard, just the distributor of the ball to guys like Christian McCaffrey, to guys like DJ Moore. They bring in Robbie Anderson, who Matt Rule had at Temple. It's a lot of speed on this offense. Hopefully we see a breakout year from Curtis Samuel finally, because this is a good team. I think the biggest question mark is going to be the offensive line, where uh, there were questions headed into the year. There are more questions now, I think, than ever, because this is an old group that doesn't have like a, a go-to guy. There's not an ass kicker on this group. You're like, oh, man, feel great about him. No no disrespect to Russell Oku. I just don't see it there. And on defense, while I like what they have in the front seven, it's a very, very young, untested secondary, guys. And in a great division with a lot of very good quarterbacks, that's going to be an issue. I have them at 5 and 11. I do think we see a breakout year from DJ Moore, though, who's already a very good player, right? But I think we see a bigger year with Teddy Bridgewater, with the consistency, with the type of offense they're going to run. It's going to be a lot of quick hitters. We're going to see him on those Justin Jefferson routes. I know Bruce Feldman wrote a great article about it, the Lucy route. We're going to see tons of Lucy for DJ Moore, where it's basically an option route. You want to run a, a slant or you got an option off of it, I think that's where DJ Moore can really have improvements over the 87 catches last year. Might not see him top that, but only four touchdowns. I think we see a better year overall for DJ Moore. I think we're going to get a really good chance to see what Joe Brady can do with some receivers. There's a lot of talent there, and DJ Moore, I think, leads the pack. Uh, I like the Panthers and what they're building there. I think they're going to see a regression, though. Uh, I think that breaking in these two new coaches to the NFL and Joe Brady coming back to the NFL, but with Matt Rule uh, being in as a first-year head coach in the NFL, I think he's going to take his lumps here. And Teddy Bridgewater is a guy who maybe he does come in and he can play point guard position like you say, or maybe he turns the ball over quite a bit and we're wondering if he can be a starter in the NFL because that has happened. as this third team now. I don't love the record, and I hate to see their schedule uh, because they've got a tough road ahead of them. And even within that division, you're going to lose a lot of games just because how good Tampa Bay is, how good New Orleans is, and even the Falcons as well. But then you also have to, you know, you're going to Green Bay. You're going to Minnesota. You're going to Kansas City. All three of those teams are going to be very tough. Then you have to throw in teams like uh, the Cardinals in there, who I think can be a nice uh, upstart team this year. So I do think the Panthers are going to struggle, but I love the path that they're on. I have them going uh, three and 13. I think it's going to be a rough year for them, but I do like what they're doing going forward. And I think a guy that has to break out for them is somebody in that secondary. And I'm going to go with Dante Jackson, the young corner, uh, his speed and athletic ability is 
exceptional. And I think we've seen spurts where it looked like he was really going to break out and be a special player. Missed a couple games last year, but I think this is a guy who can come back and really establish himself as a solid corner in the NFL. This is the one team that... I'm a little nervous how this record prediction can really turn out, right? Like, I'm down on the Panthers. I could keep saying it's a hard division, all that. But the bottom line is I just don't think they're there yet. I have them at 3-13, and just like you, Mello. And they can overachieve. I mean, Matt Rule can come in, and maybe they're further along. Obviously, a higher like Joe Brady. I think with the Panthers, listen, I mean, we're big fans of Teddy. Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in football. DJ Moore is coming off a, a tremendous season. They signed Robbie Anderson, so they only added more talent to this wide receiver group here. My big question is, I, I don't think this offensive line can get it done right now. That's the big one for me. And they're pretty young on the defense, right? When you look at how they're trying to get better at stopping the run, teams just ran on them last year. Now you draft Eric Brown, that's going to help a lot. But it's one guy and it's a rookie. I just think it's going to take a little time. Even Yitor Grossmatos is somebody that I thought played the run pretty well on the edge last year, but a young player. So I look at this Panthers team, and I think, listen, just because I think they're not going to be good this year, I think things are heading in the right direction. They hired my favorite head coaching candidate. You know, you fill out a pretty decent staff. I think they've been making some good draft picks, but when you look at it, they're still a little bit of ways away. I like Brian Burns. To break out there there is talent in the middle of this defense that can maybe give him some one-on-one pass rush opportunities I think we saw him really come on strong last year as a rookie edge that we thought was maybe a little raw but still able to make a lot of plays I think he's poised to be a superstar as an edge pass rusher I do think this offense can score enough points just because they have so much skill talent but giving Teddy the time he needs that's my number one question right now And when I write that question down for a lot of teams, I mean, which I've done, I just did it with the Dolphins and the Jets in our AFC East preview. It's still a question for me with the Giants and Washington. The same same theme is consistent. Those teams that need to protect their quarterbacks that need a lot of time, I just don't think they'll be very, very good this year. And unfortunately, I think the Panthers are still in that stage. Yeah, a lot of question marks for them. But like you said, maybe trending in the right direction. This is a great time to remind you, leave those Apple Podcast reviews because we read them on the show. And we're going to do that next. Take a break. Come back with your draft on draft. All right, it is draft on draft time. We're going to hit you with a lot of them this week. And again, leave that Apple Podcast review and it will get right on the show. So let's start there with Yo Malls. What do you guys make of two starting safeties getting into it like that with Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark? And did Thomas have any kind of character concerns coming out of Texas or at Seattle? So coming out of Texas, you have to remember, he was a redshirt sophomore. So not a lot of time at UT, but he was coming off a Thorpe Award and All-American. There were no character questions at all. And I think at Seattle... Earl was able to not play in the shadow because he was better than, but he was able to not have to be the vocal, you know, leader on that team because Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, like you got guys who they're going to be the ones the media goes to to talk about the culture, the leadership of the team. So there were no questions. Um, I I was working in scouting, uh, covering the draft at that time. There were no questions about Earl Thomas coming out of Texas. And I think he showed great leadership even in his short time at Texas. And as far as two safeties getting into it like that, uh, I think you kind of like it and you kind of expect it at this point in the season. Uh, teammates are just kind of getting at each other. Now, 
The weird part is that it comes from the same position room. Usually you don't have two safeties fighting each other, two running backs fighting each other. You have a running back going against the safety because of a hard hit in practice or something like that. Uh, but I guess you do want to see you know, a guy like Chuck Clark not be afraid to step up and say, hey, you blew your coverage on this. Get your head out of your ass. We're trying to win a Super Bowl here. And, and to me, that's what it sounds like what was going on. Yeah, with the missed meetings, late for practice, that kind of thing, you do want to see somebody step up. Maybe not to where they get into an altercation. You don't want to see people throwing punches. But I do love it out of Chuck Clark to step up and say, hey, I don't give a shit if you're Earl Thomas. If you're not doing your job, somebody has to come say it. So I do like that he was the guy to step up. You look at what makes Baltimore so good. Nobody's ever handed anything there, right? Like they took Lamar Jackson in the first round. They didn't bring him into camp and say, hey, you're running with the ones and you're our starter. You're going to have to earn this over time. And he did. On the flip side, look at Chuck Clark, right? I mean, he's somebody that wasn't this high projected pick at all. He was taken in the sixth round and worked his way up as a starting safety, a good starting safety. So I think with Baltimore, you know, and guys change over their career, right? Like Earl might have been much different coming out of Texas, growing up there with Seattle with some great players around him, that that was his squad. Obviously winning a Super Bowl, going to Super Bowls, doing all those things. Sometimes when you're a veteran and this can happen in life, you're just like, you know what, I'm over this or I don't need to do that. It's it's a bad mindset, but we see it happen with people. And I think those young guys in Baltimore don't think like that. And they're very, very unified. And it obviously just did not jam with Earl Thomas of right now. But I'm not saying that was the Earl Thomas of, of 10 years ago. Yeah, and I, I think that is tough where it's like, hey, did this guy have things coming out? Well, a lot of time between now and then, but... I will say, like, everything that's happened, you know, with him and his uh, wife and now this, it just... It, it's been a bad year yeah, for Earl. It, and he needs, like, he needs a refresh. 2020 yeah. sucks Change for Change of scenery is going to be really good for yeah. him, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, right? Definitely needs to do something different. All right, another one from Apple Podcast Reviews, D Villionaire. Sam Darnold has a less than inspiring group of weapons entering year three. Which teams would you think has a worse collection of weapons than the Jets? Man, we are just piling on Connor's team today. Um, it's okay. <laughs> you know, I look at, actually, I look at Miami. And they've had a couple guys opt out. Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns have opted out because of uh, COVID-19. I look at Miami, and I really like uh, Devontae Parker. But everyone else, there's a question mark. Like, even Preston Williams is a question mark. He's come back from ACL. Right, and so yeah. even Mike Gusecki. Like, good player, but he hasn't broken out yet. So with Miami, like I don't think that Miami's, if they're better than the Jets, it's not that much better because you do have Le'Veon Bell. You do have the promise of a Chris Herndon. So... I think those are the two teams where when I was kind of looking at, you know, like ranking uh, your uh, weapons on offense, those were pretty low for me. Man, I tell you, it's, Connor, it's, yeah. it's, it's not looking good. I would say the Dolphins are, long list. <laughs> are even better because the, there is young, promising players like Preston Williams and Mike Gusecki. The running back room looks a little rough. I think it's probably the Jets. I think the Texans are like sneaky up there even though they have Deshaun Watson like there's not a lot of there's not like a number one receiver there I know they have Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller but I still don't know what those guys are going to give you it's bad and then David Johnson at running back like who knows how he's going to bounce back from injury and uh, what he's going to do but I, I would probably have to say sorry but I think it is the Jets it probably is the only other one I can think of is Washington because sure Terry McLaurin's yeah. awesome it's really bad after that. Like, it's just, you know, 
we want Antonio Gibson to be this weapon that lights the league on fire. There's no guarantee of that right now. I mean, they're rolling out Adrian Peterson, a lot of just names at tight end. After Scary Terry, it's like, okay, that's, you know, what are we going to get from, you know, obviously Calvin Harmon getting hurt sucks for them. It's brutal. You know, Gandy Golden, what are you going to see from him? It's just, those are the three teams that come to my mind when you look at skill player question marks, and it's all a little bit of the opposite. Like Washington and Miami look to have that number one wide receiver. The Jets don't. On the flip side, the Jets have a good running back. Um, I mean, either way, for teams that are going to play three young quarterbacks at some point of this season, not a good position to be in. And honestly, like there aren't very many teams. It's like the there's no middle ground. You know, there's no middle class with receivers. You're either you know loaded at the group, or you know even like the Patriots, like their wide receiver room is not impressive, or the New York Giants, like their wide receiver room does not inspire me in any way, shape, and no, form. I agree. You know, so it's like you're either the Eagles. Yeah, the Eagles are another one where like it, you know they got some young guys at least, but it does feel like you either got it or you don't. And I think that goes back to like how do you want to build your team? There are going to be teams that prioritize receivers in the first, second round. There will be teams that are like, you know what? No, we can just find Double these guys. tight end is very popular in the NFL Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. So, uh, like, you know, Baltimore, we, we have seen them prioritize the tight end. Now they're going to the, the receivers a little bit more. All right, next question from Alex Briscoe. As for draft on draft, I'm curious to hear who, in your opinion, is the most intriguing prospect. Mine is probably Chaz Surratt due to the conversion from quarterback to linebacker. So most intriguing is a really... Like that opens up a lot of a lot of questions. So mine are always going to be players coming back from injury, and especially guys who now because of COVID nineteen we might not get a chance to see like a Walker Little, Paulson Adebo. Those are two guys just at Stanford who at one point we had really really high hopes for. Now we're not going to get a chance to see them. Or an Anthony Brown, a quarterback who goes from Boston College That's to a Oregon. Big one. I think Chaz Surratt's a great one. Um, hopefully we get to see North Carolina play a season this year. Um, as far as guys in the SEC, ACC, and Big Twelve. There's not anyone that like jumps out where, hmm, I wonder what we're going to get there. And I'll be honest, I have been a little slow to start watching tape on those guys because we're going to get more, where I've now been more focused on the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Yeah, I don't know. I want to say Sam Ellinger, honestly, because uh, I find myself being very low on him as a prospect, uh, but also at the same time rooting for him on the field. So he's intriguing to me because... He doesn't have this big stellar arm, but he also doesn't turn the ball over. And he looks like this guy who's just going to be a big brute that goes out there and runs everybody over. But he runs the offense in Texas pretty damn well. So he's a very intriguing player for me because I do have to remove my like anti-Texas bias because I really I don't like many Texas prospects when they go to the NFL. So uh, Sam Ellinger is probably the most intriguing one for me. For me right now, I would actually say somebody like you look at the tight end group. I look at Brevin Jordan as someone that last year, 35 catches, 495 yards, two touchdowns. I think he could explode in his junior season at Miami where you're looking at, you know, maybe 50 catches, 700 yards and and eight touchdowns. That's a huge tight end season at the college level where we keep talking about, you know, Pat Frymouth and uh, Kyle Pitts at Florida as this one-two superstar-level tight end group. But if Jordan has a big season at Miami, which the trajectory he's on shows he absolutely can, I think that's somebody that I would be really excited to watch this year and has a lot 
to gain with his draft stock. Also, like think of all those Big Ten running backs. You know, Journey Brown, Trey Sermon, Master Teague, Chris Evans. These guys we're not going to see now, and I think that makes them intriguing. You know, Trey Sermon and and Chris Evans are coming back off injuries where they're gigantic questions and. Who knows when we're going to see them play football again. The NCAA on Friday did say, hey, if you play, whether you play or not in 2020, you can have an extra year eligibility. So we might be listing guys who aren't in the 21 draft. We'll just have to wait and see what happens with those decisions. Uh, Let's plow ahead here. Garrison Anderson, which NFL first year head coach, Matt Rule, Kevin Stefanski, Joe Judge, uh, Ron Rivera, or Mike McCarthy. So a couple guys uh, just first year in a new situation is best suited to handle the unique challenges of a COVID-19 season and effectively implement their philosophy to a new team. So I don't know how you guys feel about this. I actually think it's Matt Rule because he has experience with a huge amount of turnover year to year as a college head coach where he knows how to quickly implement his philosophy. He's not relying on eight, nine, 10 year veterans to almost police the locker room and the meeting rooms. He is familiar with that turnover. He and Joe Brady, both being college coaches, I think that really helps them with, okay, we got to quickly turn this shit over. We got to you know get our message in and dealing with the adversity of a college season, albeit shorter. With NFL, these guys are professionals. There, there's a standard to uphold. You have you know, some things that you can do to control your environment a little bit better than I think you can in college. And I'm going to cheat and take Mike McCarthy because I feel like that team's so well established already. And he's not really a first-year coach, just took a couple years off, and now he's back in it. I think the Dallas Cowboys are really set up. They have like their leadership established. Uh, they know what's going on there with Dallas. Now, if I had to pick like a true first-year head coach, though, I'd pick Stefanski. I think he's built exactly what he wants on that offense. I think you have some really great stars, and hopefully Nick Chubb can stay healthy this year and be that great running back, Kareem Hunt, in the backfield. Uh, I would actually take Matt Rule probably second to last on this list. I think I, I would go with both your guys' answers in different forms of the question, right? If you were just saying, hey, everybody has the same roster, I would say Matt Rule. I think, once again, he, he's used to coming into new situations and, and being able to flip things over very quickly. He's used to adjusting on the fly. Uh, he has a staff that's equipped to do that. But if you're just saying their situations right now, I think it's absolutely McCarthy just because the Cowboys roster, a lot of those guys have been together for a couple of years now. Let's call it what it is. They are definitely one of the more talented rosters in football. And I think when you just look at, you know, McCarthy taking that year off, figuring out, you know, what he's behind on, what he needs to get better on, I think it's going to help him a lot coming into this bizarre season. So, and also with the Cowboys, uh, something that's probably not being talked about enough. This is a year where, you know, or like many other years, where your quarterback goes down, you sit there and go, man, this could alter our season. We're out our guy for four to six weeks or something like that. We lose a couple of games. It's over. Bringing in Andy Dalton kind of lowers that issue. The Cowboys can win games with Andy Dalton if something happens to Dak for a couple of weeks here or there. So the Cowboys are, are very well equipped for this upcoming season. Yep. The the veterans on that roster are going to be huge. Max Owens asked, could recency bias peak into the 2021 draft cycle in favor of the participating college football players who have a 2020 season? And in turn, how much could Big Ten and Pac-12 players be knocked on draft boards who don't get to play or who are focused on a spring season? This is a great question, Max. I'll be honest. I don't know if anyone has the answer to it because um, as I believe it was Jim Nagy was saying to us last week, is like, 
general managers and and you know director of player personnel like these are just dudes like the rest of us and recency bias absolutely plays into it so could guys from the the conferences who are playing get a boost absolutely but you know there's a lot of time in between the end of the season with the senior bowl combine pro days where we've seen in the past recency bias really play a role there as well so yes it could definitely play a factor uh, i don't like to ever generalize because we're talking about 32 different general managers who have 32 different ways of doing things and, and thought processes. You know, we've seen Dave Gettleman almost every year fall in love with the player of the senior bowl. That seems to be his, his bias a little bit. Whereas others, you know, it's They're going to be pro day guys or combine guys or tape guys. So I, I don't think we can say, yes, absolutely. There's going to be a recency bias. We got to be aware of it when it, it's just too generalized. It's very generalized. And as far as how much could the Big Ten and Pac-12 players be knocked, I do think significantly because they don't have more tape out there uh, to boost their stock. They're kind of stuck in this purgatory of you know, where they are is where they're going to be. And you are going to have guys that are going to be able to rise up through the draft boards because what they're doing in their juniors or senior years uh, with guys in the ACC, SEC, and Big 12. So it sucks for them. Uh, but I think that we'll see a flip and we'll see it come around when you know, we get to January and February when you start talking to these guys about who's working out and who's doing what. Uh, even if, you know, you have Caleb Farley come out and hit everybody saying, oh, he's running a 4-3. Like, well, okay, I'll believe that when I see it at the Combine. Until then, he's kind of stuck where he is. I think it's one of those things where, you know, we could sit here and, and talk about, hey, you know, we'll see what happens, but knowing how the draft cycle goes, the players that play and play well are going to get all the hype. And it, it's it's sorry, but it causes you to forget about guys that were good the year before when you haven't seen them that long. Now, I'm going to do my best to not fall into that trap. Like, I don't want to have Gregory Rousseau as a top 15 player right now. He does nothing this year. And then I look at it and go, oh, Russo should really go in the second round. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't want to fall into that trap. But to sit here and tell you, like, am I going to sit here and say nobody will jump over a guy like Russo? Absolutely, I will not say that because I think Chris Rumpf on Duke can play out of his mind this year and be the top edge. That's the things that make a difference is the guys that the gap's not that big and now they're getting a full plate to eat on this year, a full slate to go make things happen. Those are the guys that can make the jump and it, it can, it can hurt really good players, right? Like I don't think Micah Parsons is going to be going anywhere falling that far, but Micah Parsons is a great player, not a really good one. That's the difference. Yeah. I think it'll be more an issue for us and those in the media, you know, because you're, for the most part, you are isolating yourself to evaluate players. You're not in a room where you can kind of be like, hey, like, let's not forget how much we loved this guy before his season got canceled. Or let's not overrate the fact that, you know, uh, you know, whomever is going to lead the the league in sacks this year, but there's only three conferences playing. So I think that's where it's it's nice where you say, OK, we got a room of 12 people. Let's talk this thing through instead of with. All I think draft and, and analysts, you know, you kind of back away from the group and say, okay, I'm going to do my own thing here. Nick Baker wants to know if you were a mid tier Big Ten or Pac 12 player, would you consider playing in the XFL in 2021 to help raise your stock? Now, Nick, there, there's a lot of questions here. Uh, is the XFL going to for sure be a thing? What are the testing and health protocols going to look like if that happens? So I actually would not. If I'm a mid tier player, I would just look at, I'm going to do everything I can 
Uh, and I think it depends like what's family situation like, can I go back for another year? Because you are getting that extra year eligibility. If you're a mid tier player, instead of playing in the XFL, I'd just go back to college. I wouldn't go try to play professionally. Now there are going to be people who you can say, Hey, they really can't afford to do that. And I understand that. But, uh, thinking of this from a personal perspective, I would go back and play another year of college football. I think so too. Like if you're a mid-level guy at an Ohio state, I would rather go play in the spring at Ohio state in a system that I'm familiar with, with coaches that I'm familiar with. I just think it's a better environment altogether. Now, if I am really strapped and I'm saying, man, my family needs me to go do this and the XFL is going to have a season, I, I don't think it's going to hurt your stock. I think we saw a guy last year prove that you can go that route and be okay. Uh, but for me, like Matt said, if I have a choice here, I'm going back to my Big Ten or Pac-12 school where I'm comfortable and where I know what's going on. I think so, too. When you look at how volatile the XFL has been and how many different examples now, and it's not just the XFL, but a lot of leagues like this, it, I, man, I don't know. I would just go back to school. You know, your coaches know you. You're on a program already, right? Like, there's a lot of things that people don't see that you would not get with the XFL, not to mention playing against grown men. Like, if, in college, you are programming to get your body right, you're eating right. Everything is aligned for you, specifically you, to have success. And, and I think when you look at the XFL, it's just a jump that I don't think these guys are most of the time ready for. They're really not. So I actually think the answer is more simple than people realize. Yeah, and just the XFL, like it sounds cool and like I'm excited for The Rock, um, you know, as an owner, and hopefully that gives it some legitimacy. But I mean, that they've played one and a half seasons in their history. So it's just hard to bet on that. This isn't like going to Europe and playing basketball where they've been doing it for 70 years. It's a little bit different. All right, last question, and we touched on this a little bit earlier in the show. Zach Brown wants to know, who was the biggest fan of Antoine Winfield Jr., and how will he do for the Bucks? I don't know who the biggest fan was. I think everybody liked him. I had him ranked at 29 overall. I think he's going to do very well. As I said, he's my breakout player. I do think whether he's playing, you know, kind of a Tyran Matthew role or a Quandre Diggs role, he could play in the slot. He could play single high. He could play post safety. The beauty in Antoine Winfield Jr. is his ability to do everything. Now, I don't think we're going to see that this year because he's a rookie, because of, you know, COVID shortening some of the lead up to the season. I think we'll probably see him, you know, maybe he just plays free safety this year, but I think he can be very, very good at that. And then as he ages and matures as a player, we can see him add in some of those other roles that we really liked him doing at Minnesota. I loved him at Minnesota. It caught on to this guy early trying to do like previews for the college football season. And obviously the name uh, was a big standout. Anytime you have that NFL pedigree, I'm at 26 overall in safety one last year. I really think that he is the Swiss army knife for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think we see him play a lot uh, in the nickel and kind of roaming. I had him comp to a guy like Quandre Diggs. I think that he can come in and play that role or, you know, a junior uh, honey badger type guy where it's just all over the field, able to make plays. So a uh, huge fan of Antoine Winfield Jr. I do think that he'll have a breakout year and we're going to be talking about him like a Buddha Baker type safety that is just a do-it-all guy not overly you know big but extremely aggressive not afraid to get his nose in there and get dirty uh, I think I've got to be one of the biggest fans of Antoine Winfield yeah he'll be a stud I mean especially with Todd Bowles a guy that has developed a lot of really good safeties over the years now when you look at his track record um, I mean Winfield for me I had him 20th overall one of my 25 first round grades from last year. So thought he was tremendous value. 
um, maybe overlooked. Maybe it was because of injury. Maybe it was because of size. I don't know. I, I thought he was the Honey Badger 2.0. Had that comp for a long time and just think he'll be an absolute stud. As long as he can stay healthy, and he showed, you know, obviously last year, he had bounced back from those injuries in a tremendous way. He's a great player that can handle almost any role you ask of him at the safety position. Yeah, it's going to be fun watching him get out on the field. That is our show. We'll be back with you guys Friday morning. Don't forget, you can let us know what do you want to hear us talk about. Uh, it, the news cycle has slowed down a little bit. We got time. We got room for anything you would like us to cover. Tweet them at us at Stick to Football. Leave them in your Apple Podcast review. We read it. For Mello, for Connor, it's Matt. We'll talk to you guys real soon.